So it seems like we've been in the fruit of the spirit study forever, but I haven't been there, here that long, so it hasn't been. But to me, as I as I've been studying all nine, they all just run together. So uh, I don't know that I'm running out of steam for the fruit of the spirit. I sure hope not. But as I prepare these messages, it seems like they're it, it seems like I'm saying the same thing over and over. But the message of the gospel is the same message all the time. So I've got to reassure myself that there's fruit in this fruit of the spirit message. So you all should have this memorized by now. I keep saying that and I still don't have it memorized word for word. So Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, I've experienced much kindness this week at Bellevue Baptist as people have sought to serve Heather and I in different ways through moving. Uh, Ron and Linda cleaned our entire house with the help of Lauren and a couple other people. And Matt and Sarah brought brought us a washing machine. We have a washing, washer and a dryer at home, but we have to live at home for a little bit longer. Uh, so we, this move has just been a strange thing. So I appreciate that. And John Scott, wherever he is, brought me a, a uh, dryer out of the, out of the, what do you call it? The appliance barn? Yeah. So I don't know if that's some well-kept secret or something, but it, he's got an appliance barn somewhere. I don't know what else is in there. But. And John Smiley stocked meals for me in the fridge, so I'm very grateful for that. He's a good cook. But the biggest kindness that I've experienced this week is I was introduced to Sue Beck's potato salad. <laughs> and it's the best potato salad I've ever had. And I don't mean to create division amongst the cooks in the church, but I think maybe a competition is in order <laughs> so we could find out who... Uh, Who's the best potato salad preparer? My dad thinks his potato salad is the best, so where are the cameras at? Dad, if you're watching, you lost. <laughs> because Sue Beck has the best potato salad I've ever eaten. So, I'm gonna be heartbroken if Sue comes up to me after this and says she just dumps five things of Kroger potato salad into a bowl. <laughs> but I also will be greatly appreciated that because I can go buy it anytime I want. So, Sue, is it homemade? Okay, well, I know where you live, so. Let's see what else we have on here. But seriously, I, I'm being silly, but, but the kindness at Bellevue this week, especially with VBS, there's, there were loads of people in here this week, and the kindness of the kids, I didn't see any nonsense going on. I'm sure it happened somewhere, but I never saw it. But uh, all the leaders were very helpful and kind, and let's just give another hand for everybody that helped with VBS. God was definitely glorified this week through VBS, and that, that's the goal. So this week we're talking about kindness, and I want to cover a section of Ephesians where Paul explains to the church at Ephesus that there's new life in Christ. He explains that we are, they are no longer who they once were, and there's a connection because when we're saved, we are no longer who we once were. He explains that Christ has made them new and gives them a charge to live holy lives that are pleasing to the Lord. This means rejecting all the things of the world, such as sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, coveting, and drunkenness. He charges the church to imitate Christ instead. 
So the breakdown of Ephesians is chapters 1 through 3, Paul shares that Christ has united people from all nations to himself and to continue and to one another in the church. Sorry. Paul shares that Christ has united all people from all nations to himself and to one another in his church. And then chapters 4 through 6, Paul charges the church to imitate Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth as in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through dece deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. So first off, think about who, who's the one delivering this message. It's Paul, formerly known as Saul. And before he changed his name to Paul, he was hunting down disciples and throwing them in prison and killing them. And that is, that's shared in Acts chapter 7, verses 58 through chapter 8, verse 3. It says, Then they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him, and, they wit and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he did this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jeru Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Paul's life, so this, this, this what I just read in Acts was before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So his life was transformed by Jesus, just like many of our lives are transformed by Jesus. I share this history of Paul as a glimmer of hope that God can change anyone. So you take Paul, who was hunting people down and killing them, and now suddenly he is sharing the good news. And when he wrote Ephesians, he was actually in prison for sharing the good news. So the theme of this letter to the Ephesians was to charge the church with living holy lives that glorified God, which included being kind to one another. So this is an amazing testimony. And as I, as I was reading this, it reminded me of part of my own story, which I'd sort of forgotten. 
but there's a when I was in high school I was kind of I don't know how to say this a turd I was not I was not it was not nice I was not I had a lot of friends and all that but I just wasn't I wasn't following Christ for it by any means at all but there was a church in town a new church that I know this history now I didn't know it then but this church split from another Baptist church and and they were making a big impact in the community and there was a group of kids that went to this church and I don't think I was ever mean to them to their faces or or anything but in my mind I thought well those those kids are weird you know they're they're silly why are they acting so silly and whatnot so in my mind I was I wouldn't use the word persecuted. I was I was judging them because they were like good kids, or I could see something different in them, which is a great testimony to what they were doing. But later on, so those kids went to River of Life Church. Well, the church that I attended and was a member of before I came here was River of Life Community Church. So the church that I was making fun of um, as a youth was the church where I was saved and baptized and grew spiritually. So. I went from absolute spiritual death to spiritual life, just the same as Paul. So let's get back to the book. In verses 17 and 18, Paul gives a warning to the church. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is them, that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. So the word, you know, I thought I, I knew the definition of, fu of futility, but I looked it up, and the definition just means useless. So Paul is telling the church, do not be like others who lean on their own understanding, because our own understanding is useless, as, as their understanding was. We have been made new in Christ. We are different from the world. We are led by the Spirit. And when this is the case, we are no longer useless. So, so we are now to be useful to the kingdom of God, just as he was telling the church there. Verse 19, they, the Gentiles, have come, become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Think about the phrase former manner of life. If we're believers, we've been made new in Christ. But we've all, we all have a past, just as I, I shared about how when I was Pollyanna's age, I, was, I just wasn't... You, you, you maybe could look at me and think, well, that's a pretty good kid. But in my mind, I was a train wreck. And I, and I probably showed that a lot of times. But, but now I've been made new, new in Christ. I don't, have that, I don't have that same posture. But, but when we are made new in Christ, we have sin. Unfortunately, sin, not all sin goes away immediately. So we carry some of that in with us. But this does not mean that we're not walking with Jesus. This means that we must rely on Him daily. So we, we are to take up our cross daily. We must ask Him to take away our deceitful desires from our former manner of life. We should no longer desire the things of the world as we once did. And this does not always come easy. But Jesus knows our heart, and if we remain in Him, He will continue to make us new. Above all else, we should want to rid ourselves of our former manner of life 
and cling to Jesus. We should have strong desires for true righteousness and holiness. So this means we are to take off lies and put on truth. Take off theft and put on generosity. Take off gossip and put on encouragement. Take off revenge and put on forgiveness. Take off promiscuity and put on self-control. Take off drunkenness and put on God's spirit. And take off anger and put on forgiveness and kindness. And one of my favorite preachers says that to continue in our old sin is like wearing a dead man's clothes. So we've been made new, but when we continue to sin in the way that we used to, it, it, it's as if we're putting on a dead man's clothes. We don't, we don't want to put on a dead man's clothes. We want to put on clothes of righteousness. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh-oh. Be angry and do not sin. Who succeeds in that one? <laughs> well, we can be angry and not sin. Anger, anger can remain a noun and not become a verb. We don't have to act on our anger. Anger is an emotion. We don't often have the choice whether or not something makes us feel angry on the inside, but we do have the choice not to, not to act on it. So what Paul is saying here that not all anger is a sin but believers should not remain angry as this will only give opportunity to the devil to do evil. So when we become angry, we, you know, sometimes we let it escape our bodies. Well, what can we do to resolve that? We, we immediately repent. You know, we're, we're not perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. But we must remember to repent when we do. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So this caused me to Google how many words we speak in a day. I do a lot of Googling when I'm preparing these things. And I realize not all these sources are super reliable, but the Google search on how, it's funny, the Google search on how many words we speak in a day, there was all these debates on, well, women must speak more, more words than men. And I could find, I didn't look very long, but I don't think there's any scientific evidence of that. So let's just say that we speak an average of 10,000 words in a day. What percentage of those words are, I've got some weird faces going on back here. <laughs> let's just say we speak 10,000 words in a day. What percentage of those words are building people up and what percentages are, are tearing people down? You know, so we, we just have to be cognizant of what we say because our words matter. Our words should be a benefit to others and not a hindrance. Our words should be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom were we, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is telling us here that it grieves the Holy Spirit when we sin. So Jesus saved us, and when we go on sinning, the Holy Spirit grieves, and we do not want that. The entire charge that Paul's given to the church of Ephesus and to us today is to avoid sinning and pursue righteousness. We cannot be in, in step with the Spirit and grieving the Spirit at the same time. And we, our desire should be to be in step with the Spirit and not to be grieving the Spirit. But there will always be times where we fail in this. And when we fail, we must repent. So we say, God, I know I should not have done this. And I just pray that you strip this nonsensical 
talk from my mouth. So we repent and we carry on the mission of the gospel, knowing that we will still be in sin until Jesus returns. But, but we can't let sin, we can't remain in the dead man's clothes. Take those off and put on clothes of righteousness. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It takes a whole lot of kindness and self-control to conquer these things. A whole lot of kindness to take away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. And again, I've said it, I said it when I started, but as I've studied this fruit of the Spirit, which I've studied before, but as I'm preparing this message for kindness, I'm thinking, well, this, has a, this seems, how am I going to preach on, on kindness when next week is, what is next week? Goodness. Well, the two things, they sort of go together, right? Well, that's fine. God wants us to be kind and good. We're going to learn about both somehow. And I don't know where I'm going with it next week, but we'll find out. So, I've noticed that all nine are really, really bundled together. Peace, patience, and self-control go hand in hand. Love, joy, and kindness, and goodness are, are worthwhile grouping. But all nine complete our walk of faith. And we can't let the temptation of bitterness and anger and slander create destruction in our lives or the lives of other people. Verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So God in Christ forgave us. Our sins have been forgiven. And in uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love the wisdom of Paul. I, I find myself reading the New Testament a lot. And I sometimes feel guilty about it because there's a, the Old Testament's this thick and the New Testament's this thick, but I, I gravitate towards the New Testament and I gravitate towards Paul's writings because he has a lot of wisdom that's, that's still extremely applicable and will remain applicable forever. He says that we should no longer live as we once did. We have been made a new creation in Christ. We are to walk in the newness of life given to us by belief, our belief that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected into heaven for our sake. We are to take off our dead man's clothes and to put on clothes of righteousness. We are to stay in step with the Spirit. And when we do these things and live this way, we will have radical sanctification in our lives, and our lives will produce vibrant fruit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And now every time I say that, I think of the song that these Basque girls and others teach me, and I never, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know the songs. I just had the misfortune of having to memorize the words. <laughs> but now I know the song. What's the fruit? Watermelon? There was a big debate. It's not coconut. What was it? What was that? It's not a cherry? Okay. Do you want to sing it? <laughs> Silly. So we must stay in step with the Spirit because it, it will produce radical fruit in our lives. And we must desire this transformation and desire growing with Jesus and being in step with the Spirit. 
We don't just sit around and passively wait for the Spirit to do to produce fruit. We we play a part in this. So we don't just we're not going to go home after after church today and think, well, if I just sit around quietly, you know, and don't say stupid and offensive words to people, that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to you know produce radical fruit in my life. That's not how it works. We must chase after Jesus with discipline. We must pray and read and fellowship with other believers and worship and share our faith and serve and be good stewards with the resources we've been given and fast and learn and persevere in the faith. And when we think, I like this one. I don't know, I don't know how this came to me and it might not make sense to everybody, but I'm gonna share it anyway. Think about the fruit of the Spirit as a garden. One garden and nine plants. We don't just plant a garden and we walk, and walk away from it, hoping that it does well. We till. Now, one of you farmers is going to really criticize me, probably. We till, we plant, we water, we cultivate, we water, we cultivate, we water, we cultivate, we harvest. Sometimes some of the plants die. This is a good represent, representation of sin in our lives. We are not perfect. Sometimes things don't go well. And when the plant dies, we pull it out of the ground and we replant. We try again, we learn from our failure, and we move forward. Some plants, like squash, grow easily, where others take years to develop, like asparagus. Sometimes raccoons come and eat the corn. This is a good representation of Satan interfering with our plans. Raccoons are of the devil, is what I'm saying. And don't even get me started on possums. I'm scared of possums. I did find out that they eat ticks, though, so I, I gained a little bit of respect for possums, but they still creep me out. Sometimes the weather is perfect. We get adequate rain and sunshine. Everything is just right. This is a good representation of God's grace. Everything good and right is a gift from Him, and everything good and right comes from Him on His timing, not ours. We can try and try and try to produce good fruit, but righteousness and holiness are a gift from God that come on His timing. We must do everything we can to cultivate a right relationship with God, for this is pleasing to Him. There's a woman in our, in our previous church, her name was Catherine Shelton. I'm going to try not to read all this. So. There's a woman in our church named Catherine Shelton, and she's, she died, I don't know how long ago, she died two years ago. And she was the mother of our pastor. And when I first arrived at that church, she, she always had a smile on her face, and she was always really kind. And, and she... Many people did this, but she especially, she would seek me out. She knew I was new to church, and she would seek me out and ask me, how's everything going? And she, she, she was there to see me be baptized, and she, she was there long enough. We probably knew each other for five years. She, she got to see me get more involved in church life. And, and she would just always pursue me and say, how's everything going? How, what, are you, what are your thoughts? You know, she was like a grandmother of the faith to me. And every conversation that I had with her, her name was Catherine Shelton, I don't know if I said that or not, but every conversation that I had with Catherine was impactful, and every conversation she would say to me, our walk with Jesus is a great adventure, but that, it's not easy. It, it, it's just because we're in relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that our life is going to be super easy. But there was much, much, much fruit in Catherine's life. She was patient and kind and joyful. She had cancer I don't know how many times she had cancer. More than twice, though. Uh, I think she first 
had cancer when she was around 50. I think she was her, in her mid 70s when she died. And she she died from cancer, but she was just joyful. And and we were actually in Tanzania. I was there with her daughter. Her daughter was on the trip, and she we found out that she had cancer again when we were in Tanzania. So that was just in August of this past year. And but but this woman just had great peace. You know, you hear testimonies of people, you know, so and so had cancer, but she she had great peace. She was just she was just at ease with everything. And she once she knew that that there was no nothing that they could do for her, she she was good with it. She knew she had all the confidence in the world that she was going to heaven. So why sit around and that's Catherine. Why sit around and suffer when I can just go be with the king? And she was just out of everybody that I've ever known, she was just, uh, it's hard to look at her. She was just, uh, there was a lot of peace. There was a lot of fruit in her life. Take that picture off there. <laughs> but I pray that we all have the desire. I, I'm, I'm missing a point here. I'm sharing this story with, about Catherine because she is one of my heroes of the faith. Lottie Moon took the gospel to China. Annie Armstrong advocated for people, groups all around her. And Catherine Shelton exuded the fruit of the Spirit on a daily basis while on earth walking with Jesus. I need some water. I cried like a baby at her funeral with her husband, and I missed the point I made about her husband. She was married to a man named JT who was also a faithful believer, and he's still alive. But he was full of sarcasm and wit, so I know he was hard to handle. He sort of reminds me of Del Scott. So, I pray that we all have the desire to look more like Jesus, and, and Catherine was a great example of, of somebody in my life who really did. And, and as I get to know you all, I hope, I hope to see this. I already see fruit in many of your lives, but I'm, I'm excited about new relationships with you all is, is the point I'm trying to make in that. So, verse 32 again, I'm, I want to read it again. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. The Lord is kind to us, and I can prove it to you all right now. Everybody close your eyes, and we're going to have just a short moment of silence. And you all just think, think for a minute how kind the Lord is to you. Just take, take a couple moments and just think about that. And keep your eyes closed. I'll tell you when to open. If you're sitting in this room right now, you are still alive. You have breath. The lights are still on in here. The building is still standing. The chair is holding you up. You have clothes on your back, which I am grateful for, and so are the people sitting next to you. You traveled here today from home, a home that you live in, and you're surrounded right now by loving and helpful and kind people. The Lord is kind to us, and we should be kind to Him and kind to each other. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Let me pray for us. Father, I come to you today grateful for your kindness. You, you're so kind to us in many ways. And as we celebrate uh, our freedom, our country's freedom on the 4th of July, you were kind enough to us to allow us to be born in this country. We did not choose that. You chose that and we did not. So let us be extremely grateful for the freedom that you have given us to, 
to choose for us to be born here. We could have, we could have lived anywhere, but you, for whatever reason, your grace is so sufficient that you chose for us to live in this country. And I am so, so grateful for that. And as we, as we exit this building today, just let us not forget your kindness and just allow us to, to show just a drop of that kindness to somebody else this week and this month and this year. And, and just let us remember how kind and good that you are to us. And I just pray that if anybody in here doesn't have a relationship with you, that they come forward today and ask questions and, and start to learn more about you. And I know there's, there's a couple kids in here that are, that are praying about baptism. And I just pray that your hand be in that and, and guard the families and allow the families to ask the right questions about these things and pursue the right people to ask questions to. And, and Lord, I just love you. And, I, and I'm, and I'm so glad you planted me here and just, Allow these people to be patient and kind and joyful that I'm here also. And that same goes for my family. They're, they're glad to be here too. So we're so grateful that you planted us here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.